Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, channel pros. Thank you for listening. I'm psyched that you are here. Welcome to episode 18. And today we are going to talk SaaS. SaaS, I mean software as a service. This is Rob Spee. I'm your host and founder of Channel Journeys Consulting, where I help SaaS companies build and leverage the channel. My guest today is Sunir Shah. Sunir, he is the founder of three SaaS organizations. He has his own SaaS company called AppBind. He runs the SaaS Connect conference each year, and he founded the Cloud Software Association, which is a network of over 2,000 companies working together to build the market and channel for cloud software distribution. You're going to learn about all three organizations, and you'll hear why the SaaS channel is so important for the success of SaaS companies. Let's get started. Here we go. Sunir, hey, good morning. Great to chat with you. Welcome to Channel Journeys. Thank you so much, Rob, for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's uh, my pleasure to have you on board. And we met fairly recently, just, uh, what, a couple weeks ago out at your big event, SAS Connect. That's right. Thanks for coming out. Well, I mean, it's a partnership conference, so obviously it makes sense for you to be there. I'm so glad you could make it. And uh, Channel is like the big thing this year, so perfect timing. SAS and Channels, that's where it's at right now. That was a fantastic event. Thank you for inviting me, and I really enjoyed it. And I guess for all of our listeners, they better be there next year if they have anything to do with SAS and the channel. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, probably no one even knows what it is, although it's been around for nine years. I just assume they don't know anything. So if I can give a little, little pitch, that's all right, but what it is. So SAS Connect is the conference, and you can go to sasconnect.org to find out all about it. It's the SaaS Partnership Conference. It's where we've done it nine years in a row. And it's all the SaaS partnership execs. And the reason why we do it as partnership people, we need one place to get together and hang out, get to know each other, get to know what's going on with each other because we all trade on that information and also learn like all the complicated skills to be a partnership exec. Like you have to do sales, marketing, commercials, tech, design, finance. It's mm-hmm. a very complicated position. And there's no other place where all of us can get together and talk about that. And that's where the conference came from. So, you know, it's a very interesting role, SaaS partnerships, very unique. And this is the only conference was just partnership people talking partnership stuff. It was very unique and I loved it. And it's, it's not a huge event. There were, what, a couple hundred people there? No, no, it was over 300. Over 300. Wow, fantastic. Yeah, everyone's in meeting. It's a meeting-centric event. I mean, part, what do partnership people want at a conference? They don't want to sit around in seats. They're out me having meetings. So there's a lot of meetings going on. Yeah, we try to do everything we can to get people to know everybody in the room. There's a lot of meetings, that go, a lot of deals that happen. SaaS Connect, that's very important, you know, especially as a partnership manager, you don't only have so much money and time. So the purpose of the conference for many people has been to just get all the potential partners in one place and just like grind out like 30 meetings in two days. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of what it's all about. Well, the size was perfect, I thought, and I'm sure you're going to grow after this podcast. Everybody's going to hear and want to come. Yeah. <laughs> but... I had so many opportunities for just one-on-one conversations because the size allowed for that networking as opposed to events where you have thousands of people. The content was terrific. The presentations that you had, the roundtable discussions, I just really enjoyed it. 
And just recently, I had a channel chief on my podcast who runs a software as a service business. And he said, you know, there just aren't any events that focus on yeah. this. And I said, well, actually, there is. <laughs> so I just went to it. So <laughs> That's why we do it. Uh, you know, the whole reason this thing started, absolutely true, is we're at other conferences. And so partnership people don't get a lot of tech conferences because it's a lot of, you know, account execs, business development reps. It's all sales. And so you're wandering around desperately hoping to find another partnership person at these trade conferences. And, you know, if you walk up to a trade show booth, you know, the salesperson will happily introduce you to the wastebasket, you know, where your business card should go because you're not a sales prospect and then get, get out of here. So like, we're just like, we suddenly find another partnership person on the floor is like a partnership person. Oh my God. What ended up happening is over the years, we ended up going to hotel bars, hanging out. And, you know, we had started having our own cocktail party. The drinking got out of control. We had to incorporate to cover the bar bill because it was getting ridiculous. I mean, we're the Shriners of tech. So, yeah. <laughs> but like the reason why we have our own conference is that when I started asking people at these parties, like, what was the best thing to do at the conference? They always said it was this, you know, our, our drink up, our meetup for just partnership people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm married. So if your listeners are married, they'd, they'd appreciate this phrase. They said, you know, so you know what we should do? I'm like, oh God, what should we do? What should we do? <laughs> As they're looking straight at you. <laughs> yes. We should have a conference just for ourselves. And I should organize it for you guys. Yes, you got it in one snare. Like, okay. So that we started nine years ago uh, in 2011. We had our first conference. And it's, like, it's not like a normal tech conference, right? It's not a rock show. People don't get up on stage and go, I'm killing it because no one believes that. I mean, we're, our job as partnership people is to know what's going on. <laughs> and no one's going to be fooled by someone getting up on stage mm-hmm. and saying, you know, like they're crushing it. Like, that's nice. I mean, everyone, you know, knows the, the fast growing tech companies, but we also know that. You know, everyone is under-resourced in partnership land. It's a really difficult position. Mm-hmm. And so, and we're all collegial because, you know, diplomats, we have to like support each other and work with each other. It's relationship oriented. So yeah, the reason why the event, you get to know everybody is that, you know, we've designed the event so that you can, and you're supposed to try to meet everybody there and get to know as many people on a first night basis. And that network you get out of the conference is something you can carry forward you know, into your career, you know, after that, you know, because you're like now connected, more rooted into the partnership mm-hmm. network. And now we all try to help each other all the time. Uh, and this event is our, just our annual kind of family reunion, so to speak, across the partnership network. So, you know, it, I would never organize a conference unless I wanted to go to it because it's a lot of work, but it is the, probably the most useful like two days of the year for me to have all these people that I want to know and want to catch up with yeah. in one place. You get some FaceTime, which is a really important relationship work. Is it always held in San Francisco? It has been the last three years. We used to do it in San Jose at eBay Town Hall. They used to gift, gift us the space. But since they, uh, eBay, you know, eBay, PayPal, Magento, depending on which unit was supporting us, but now they're no longer one company, it became more difficult to continue using that space. And plus, we're growing in San Francisco, it's just a more okay. place to, to do it. So we decided why not move it to San Francisco. Yeah. And you're based in Toronto? I am based in Toronto. That's right. Another good reason to run a trade association is I don't like flying to the States all the time because I have three kids. And so I just bring everyone to me. <laughs> and do you have events there in Toronto then? Actually, we're going to have one. Uh, Collision's coming here in May. Uh, and so we're working on putting together a cocktail party uh, here in May. So if you're, you know, your listeners, if they're coming to Collision, come to, like, if you go to the Cloud Software Association site, so, you know, you go to sasconnect.org, you'll get to the Cloud Software Association site. You'll, you'll see if we have a meetup for Collision. It's on our events board. Okay. What date is that? Collision's May 20th to May 23rd. Okay. Excellent. Did you grow up in Toronto? 
Yes and no. So I was born in Niagara Falls, Ontario. And then we moved to Mississauga, which is like a suburb of Toronto. And then I moved to Hamilton, which is another suburb of Toronto. And then when I was seven, I moved to Eastern Ontario. So kind of like the first few years of my life, I was in the Toronto area. And then I moved to the Ottawa Valley. Yeah. And then I moved back to my master's and then got married. And now I'm here. Awesome. And you've got three kids. That's right. Three kids and three businesses and no hair. I liked your presentation that you gave at SAS Connect where uh, you said the best negotiators are your kids. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I, yeah. I mean, I love them. That's not fair. No. It's not fair. <laughs> well, so let's get back to your other love, your passion around software as a service, partnerships, the channel. I was looking over your journey. You've done so many different things. You were in research. You were an editor. You did sales ops. You're a software developer. You studied computer science in school. How did you end up where you are today, and, and what is your, your current passion? Well, I ended up marking through a series of unfortunate life decisions. This is just my penance, mm-hmm. I swear. I could never imagine being a marketer when I was a teenager, because I always wanted to be a software developer. So I'm a comp sign. Uh, but it all makes sense yeah. to me. So my career objective, as strange as it is, is I want to make the internet a more glorious place. That's, what, that was my, that's my career objective. And the reason why that is... As I grew up with the internet, so I was 14 when the first time I got on the internet, so don't ask how, because we lived in a nuclear research town and I might have used the facilities, perhaps, as I'm not supposed to. Um, I was a teenager. <laughs> uh, so I figured out how to get on. Uh, but it was amazing the first time you, I got onto IRC, of all things, and undernet, and, and touched the world. It was like, oh my God, these people are all around the world, and I could talk to them. And then I was on Usenet, and I got to meet like, interesting people, like Bjorn Stroustrup. Who ran, who was like inventor of C, and Jaron Lanier, who did, invented the idea of virtual reality, all sorts of interesting people. And, you know, they would respond, like, because they were just people. And I was like, wow, you can, t- anyone you want to talk to that you're interested in talking to, you can. And then all the opportunities that came to my life because of this. And I was like, well, I'm benefiting it from it because I happen to be in a particular location on the planet in time. But, you know, there's everyone can benefit from this. And I seem to be particularly skilled and, and situated to improve the world in my life by improving the internet. So that's what I do. So all these other skills, you know, being an editor, I mean, because the internet's writing, so I did a lot of writing. Being editor, being a comp sci makes sense. I have a library science degree as well, but that's because of the product management degree and also the sociology of technology was in the library program and information. So I, I have that. And I ended up in marketing because eventually I got so good at conveying the meaning of technology to people that I got more interested in the people side than the development side, because it's always developers. But like the mitigation between humans and technology is always an interesting space to be in. And the, re- the reason why I'm in partnerships in particular is twofold. One, I'm like a relationship marketer. So I just like building relationships with people. That has to be a passion if you're going to form a, a conference and an association, if you're going to be the founder of that. You've got to love that relationship building. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You should see my, uh, my spreadsheet where I track all the people that I know. It's pretty funny. So <laughs> eventually you have to automate your relationships. It's so funny. I mean, I get a kick of just getting to know people as people. You know, the money is great. I mean, I'm a capitalist, but you know, the money is just a part of a game. And then the real value is the touching other human souls and, and seeing if you can help them grow and develop. And I just get a kick out of that. So that's one reason I'm in partnerships. And the other reason is as a software, when I was a software developer, it was in the Microsoft channel. And, you know, for me, I was a, I was a coder, but like the, the sales desk, because it was a startup, was right next to me. And people would call in and say, hey, we'd love to sell your stuff to my client. 
how do we work that out? I was like, great, I'll put it in a box and ship it to you for 40% list price and good luck. It was easy. And it took like 10 minutes, the phone call. And then when I was started at FreshBooks, when I started the marketing team, I ran partnerships there. The very first partnership call I ever got was a 45-minute like confused mess because like because of the subscription. You know, no one knew who, who owned the customer, who didn't support, how the billing worked, how logging, uh, logins worked, authentication, authorization, the contracts, all this stuff was looked like a love mm-hmm. triangle. Like both, like both of us were trying to control the customer. I do have a little bit of business background. It's like value chains, distribution chains are not based around fighting for control of the customer, right? Your customer should be the next person down the chain, right? But if you're trying to skip over them and get to their customer, right, you're going to like burn down your value chain. And it was very confusing to me. And I've been talking about that for 10 years now. You know, how like to, you know, at the beginning at SaaS, partnerships were always a crazy idea in SaaS. But at the beginning, integrations and open APIs were a crazy idea. It's my data. Why would I give my data? Well, legally, it's no longer your data. Thank you. That's, that's a good improvement. But like now we're talking about channel. I've been drum, beating that drum. It's like you can't own the entire customer experience. You need to develop partners around your ecosystem because you can't phone and email every customer in the world. You know, like SaaS is still a very small market compared to over the global market. That's because the global software market is because the global software market works through a value chain, a distribution chain, and SaaS is all direct. And so now, you know, for me as a partner, it just really felt wrong to me. Like this problem just felt like it needed to be fixed. And I just been spent my career, you know, because I'm a relationship person and I understand what it could be. And I also understand from a technology point of view that software is a component. It fits into a system of things. You have to work with partners. And I just decided that this is where I'm going to be. So 10 years of my life or more, actually, I guess, gosh, 12 years of my life. In, in yes. Have all led to this. And so this, this culmination is solving a problem with the channel in difficulties in reselling software as a service or, or selling software as a service through the channel? Yes. So the channel is, one, is, is the most important in future development that we need to build in order to get SaaS to grow. So a recent estimate... Mm-hmm. And why is that? Is that because of what you just said? You can't reach all these SaaS vendors. There's no way they can reach the market on their own. That's right. So recent numbers, I can't remember if it was Gartner or Forrester, someone mentioned at the conference, but it was $72 billion global GDP, global GDP for SaaS, like B2B SaaS. Where, you know, that's, the amount, that's the global GDP for B2B SaaS right now, which sounds big. I mean, it's more than potatoes, like literally. Potatoes are like $2, $3 billion globally. But Microsoft's revenue was closer to $100 billion just themselves. And like just this sheer difference in size and scale between the PC revolution and SaaS is indicative of how much more room there is to grow. And Microsoft is very proud that for every dollar that Microsoft makes, their partners make $8, right? It's always been about building up a platform that other people can build businesses on because that's the only way you can reach global scale. But SaaS has been very proud about how much of the customer life cycle they can own. And that's what all people talk about is how much of the customer journey they can own. And therefore, they squish out all their channel. And that's why everyone's fighting, you know, predictable revenue, direct marketing, customer success. You know, they're trying to take fighting for like at least wallet share dollars, right? I mean, like how do you become a billion dollar revenue company by doing it all direct? It's like, it doesn't make any sense. And so I think that it's natural for us to focus on fixing this, especially in the partner world, fixing this part of the software market. And you, you have to understand that why software has to be sold through partners. You know, if you read a Clay Innovator's Dilemma by uh, Clay Christensen, 
you know, and he talks about how software is a component, right? It has to fit together with other, other parts. Like all technology is component-based. It has to fit together to build a system to make a whole product solution. And that system may be reconfigured for every sale, depending on how complicated it is, like a factory. Or for smaller things, you know, you could OEM, you know, you put a piece of your hard drive inside of a MacBook, that's still a component-based thing. Like Apple doesn't make all the components in the computer, right? But software is, is a part. And it's not, you know, one piece of software can't solve the entire business problem for a customer. It has to fit in to a system with other people. So if you don't work with the other things that make up the solution, right? You're, you're not going to fit in to the world of the customer. And so software has always been a partnership play. Yes, we have a really good integration market in, in SaaS. That's actually an improvement over the PC revolution, just better integrations, just because software's on the network. And so there can be APIs and data can flow around. That has been actually the only saving grace for partnerships in this particular model. But there are other forms of partnerships and that a lot that is service partnerships because customers, a typical business, you know, just like you hire a plumber to fix your sink, you don't know anything about gaskets and fittings and all the stuff that they're doing. You don't know anything about membranes or, you know, you don't care. You hired an expert to solve the problem. A typical business will hire an expert to solve a business area, and they rely on the expert to go and figure out what to do, time and materials ways. That's a normal way all contracting works, right? But SaaS doesn't work on time and materials, because how do you buy, how do you buy an online subscription for a customer? Like, what are you supposed to do? And so most people end up referring the customer over to the SaaS vendor, and then they start applying customer success and sales, and you know they even do the integrations. They do everything to take up all the value around the customer to squeeze every dollar out of that customer. Or the consultant expert has to buy the software or subscription somehow, and then juggle the expense somehow to the client, which is difficult because it's not a transaction. It's a it's a unbounded future variable cost, right? Because every month or every year, you know, it will have to renew and you have to keep track of that, right? And so it's like a nightmare for anyone who wants to support your software company by building a business around it and selling more of it. It's like really, really difficult. And so, you know, the future is going to be fixing this idea of getting software not only to be components within other software companies, there's still an open question how we're going to solve that problem, but also how to fit within service companies, especially since software is no longer a product, it's a service. It has to fit with service companies, right? And that's like a real head shift because that's like we're going to require some innovation and thinking about how services can be you know, put together in different, configured different ways. So just to summarize, Sunir, you're saying for the large part, a big chunk of the software as a service business the vendors, software as a service vendors that are creating this software as a service, the opportunity is to sell it through the channel, but a channel of companies that are actually service providers who are going to then bundle that software as a service into some larger service. And it may have multiple SaaS components. It's going to be their services layered into it, their IP. That's what you're saying. And what you're developing, your company, AppBind, is, is a cog in that wheel to help facilitate that. Exactly. You know, it sounds abstract when you talk about that, but make it concrete makes it obvious. So first, it's important to realize that every kind of work has software associated with it now in 2018. The software's eating the world. So like, literally anything you're doing now as an agency or consultant is going to have a software solution that will support it. And so you need to buy those things in order to support your process. So a good example, and by the way, and every agency is really selling, because any labor-based business is selling a process, right, which is you know, a service, which is like a piece mm-hmm. of software, right, in a way, but done with humans. And so it makes sense to have software and human labor processes put together in different ways. So a good example is a marketing agency. So like I'm a social media, you know, agency, let's say, let's just pretend, right? So I need to buy 
you know, something to schedule my tweets and Facebook messages like Buffer, right? I'm going to need to do social media monitoring, right? I'm going to do social, I'm going to need to do dashboards and reports. I'm going to do social, like uh, I need to do ad buys and manage the ad spends. All these things are involved online, online services and tools to handle it. And for each client, you're going to configure a package, you know, specifically for that client because they're each slightly different, right? Because you all have different businesses and markets, right? So you want to buy, you know, a unique Buffer account for that customer. You want to buy a unique Clipfolio dashboard account for that customer. You know, so how do you do mm-hmm. that? And so some companies have solved it just for themselves. Clipfolio has a really good agency portal where you can, you know, subscribe for all your clients who have sub accounts. But then, you know, when the client leaves you inevitably, then they can't, how do they get their Clipfolio account from you? Right. So that's kind of painful. Maybe that's a benefit for you as an agency, but you tie them into you by the dashboard, but really what they'll do is just give up the dashboard. So for Clipfolio, it's kind of not that great because they actually haven't made the sale to the client. They'll just, the client will just churn out the Clipfolio dashboard, you know. But, you know, if it was a plumber, you know, I don't have an ongoing, ongoing subscription with my plumber. Once the gas gets bought and sold, it's in my, you know, it's there, it's done, right? And so you kind of want, like, fixing this problem of how to interleave, like, these software services and, like, ads are also a service of online services into your, your agency service, you know, is an ongoing question. And so what uh, AppBind, my company, does is make this really easy. And so what we do is allow uh, these, any agency or consultant or expert to buy these subscriptions and sell them as part of the services to clients and manage all the subscriptions in one place. And there's a little magic trick that anyone's familiar with who's using Password Manager. When you pat, go through a login form and you generate a password, right, that's a little magic trick that allows you to manage accounts across all these services. AppBind's similar. When you go to a billing mm-hmm. form and you need to get a credit card, you generate a new credit card number every time you, you check out. And this credit card number allows us to route all the charges from online services, like a Facebook ad charge or a buffer subscription charge through your AppBind account. And if you want to, add a markup and pass the charge instantly over to the client so you're not holding any financial risk. And then all your subscriptions are managed per client just like LastPass manages all the passwords per client. So they're separated, not all mixed together on one corporate card. You don't need to track the bookkeeping or do any bookkeeping labor. Nicely, too, that if your credit card gets uh, expired or stolen, AppBind allows you to have backup cards in the account so it rolls over and you don't have a single point of failure. You can update in one place. You don't have to panic. You're not like, you know, the more subscriptions you're managing, the more work it's going to take whenever that card rolls over, which they all do. AppBind makes that one place to do that all that management. And then, also, you'll be able to transfer the subscriptions to your client if you ever offboard them. You never want to update the billing on the off. Like, why spend billable time, non-billable time on offboarding, right? You just want to transfer it. AppBind can allow you to handle that as well. So you're like kind of more free to buy whatever you need to buy to support the client. There's always more tools and stuff. And also build mm-hmm. a business model because you can mark them up to the client. And it's totally legit to mark up these services because you're actually providing labor to manage like a stack for them. You're being the IT department for them for this particular stack marketing stack or whatever. And just a logical thing for every business to do. I've never seen a client who's been unhappy with the idea of offloading the operations to the expert they hired. You know, they what they all are unhappy about is having to manage the stack that the client that the consultant has made them buy. You know, it's like, why am I buying all this stuff? Then I have to get my IT team to manage it. And they have to buy into it. And there then is a value sales evaluation. It takes weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And they're going to buy it anyway. So it's a waste of time. Like, just get the person you hired to buy the stuff, set up the stack for you, manage it, and then you know if you want your own subscriptions back, you can transfer them back into your name and control at the end. That seems like a much more 
long-term aligned way of making the software industry grow. Yeah, it does. And it, it's a way for, and you talked about that, yeah. the bizarre love triangle of the, the partner, the vendor, the customer, the SaaS subscription, I guess the customer's in the middle. And how do you manage that? And, and as partners are always worried about getting disintermediated by software as a service when the customer goes direct to the vendor. You mentioned the marketing agency as an example. Would MSPs be also potential partners who could use this? Because there's been a lot of chat on this topic of the role of the MSP and kind of the convergence of agents and MSPs and that whole model. Oh, absolutely. So it is a fundamentally a managed service business that AppLine supports. So there are tons of subscription-based stuff that a managed service provider will want to buy. And so typically... The channel has been constrained by things that are aligned to the bookkeeping process of an MSP, which means they end up being seat-based. For a lot of services you might want to buy are not seat-based, right? So if you're buying Amazon Web Services, it's a variable cost product. You have to track that per client every month, what mm-hmm. time that is. Or if you want to buy Shopify or MailChimp or whatever you're buying, these products are not aligned to the MSP model. And so a lot of IT, IT channel, everything's kind of seat-based which is annually priced. But there's a lot more software in the world that mm-hmm. you can sell, right? And your customer is probably coming to you to make recommendations, and you're probably deflecting it back to them and getting them to sign up themselves. But you're losing the opportunity to add value there, right? And you're not just you know, buying it for them, not just procurement, right? But you know, so every, like, I'm, you know, I, I'm obviously the president of the Cloud Software Association. I support cloud software, but let's be honest, there's definitely risks the customers are, are need to be managed. The MSP should be managing like trust, security, GDPR, privacy compliance, integrations. It's a lot of stuff for you guys to do, right? But how do you do it if you don't control the subscription in some way? So, I mean, AppBind is totally made for this use case so you can manage and buy all these subscriptions for the customer, even if it's not particularly specially made for IT. It opens you up to support more what the customer is demanding you buy. And you know, it's like, how do you manage variable rate billing? You have to have weird integration. This is, I think, the th- little, little magic trick that I'm pushing out and trying to teach the world about. And the, the magic trick is because it's a credit card number, whatever the company charges, it just flows through AppBind as a, as a charge. You don't care what they're charging it for. right? And then you mm-hmm. mark up on the percentage of the dollars coming through yourself because you know, it's easier. You don't want to negotiate for every little thing you're buying for your customers. Just put 30% of the money. That's probably the value of it to the customer. You take 30% of whatever you're doing yourself, and that's as your managed service fee, and that's a reasonable number. It's easy to negotiate and you pass it on. And that model has been doing really well. And then you can just start buying all this stuff. Like there's always more things. Like if you're buying, if you're a Gmail, if you're if you're a Google Cloud administrator, you go do backups, right? But there's also you know CRM. You might want to get Streak for them, right? You might want to get a dashboarding tool as well, right? To now manage the sales pipeline. You might want to do a Clearbit for contact enrichment. You might want to do all these things, but you can't. But AppBind allows you to go say yes to all those requests and start building more businesses and more value for the customer. So it sounds like you're solving a, a real problem that's out there in trying to grow software as a service. What other big challenges are you seeing? Are there any other big ones that are standing out? You know, as you're you're meeting with a lot of SaaS people through the Cloud Software Association and SaaS Connect. What other big ones are you seeing? So the biggest, 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 biggest problem, absolutely, is that most investors and CEOs still want to control the customer from beginning to end. And they see partners as a threat. And so that's changing. So there was a big push three, four years back for a number of years on predictable revenue, which is growing the direct sales team. But every partner knows a direct sales team is a, is a threat to the partners, vice versa. 
And so there was this, a lot of channel conflict. So that's one example. And then the success teams are also an, a big threat because that's a big part of the actual partner value is actually the onboarding period. That's actually the most valuable part-time to be an MSP. That's where a lot of the work is, the onboarding and setup. And then management, and, you know, if you have account execs and success, they're eating away in your, on your operations. So the SaaS companies are trying to eat away at partners and you find a lot of them are not aligned to supporting partners. But I was kind of inspired. Well, I was more than kind of inspired. I was yeah. very inspired. I did not expect... So Clayton Mask spoke last year and this year as well. So he's the CEO of Infusionsoft, now rebranded Key. And I did not expect him to be telling the story. I just invited him because I like Infusionsoft. Just, you know, I, not, I thought he'd talk about executive management or, you know, whatever. And it was perfect because they had just got rid of their customer success team. That's, Infusionsoft is a customer-oriented company. They love customers. Like they are super laser focused on customers, but they gave up the entire onboarding almost like 90, over 90% to partners. And then they decided to build up their partner ecosystem. And they, and they actually, you know, got rid of, unfortunately, for those, that team members, customer success team. I mean, that's painful for them, but they may decide to make the switch, the painful switch to focusing on partners instead. And that kind of vision of going, you know what, we can't talk to every customer ourselves. We need to go through the ecosystem is where things will head eventually. Now, HubSpot themselves also, there was one exec, I forget his name, but he, he talks, he ran the agency program. He grew up to a 40% of the revenue, $100 million ARR uh, comes from their agency program. That was a obvious or natural. It sounds like obvious now, but in the street fight for, for partners versus sales, in SaaS, it's actually, you know, company by company, you just have one interesting, one person who's like on, on the avant-garde, you know, on the cutting edge. But eventually everything, well, I have to move this way. And so I think that's the biggest mental shift is getting away from direct sales and marketing. But predictable revenue is addictive, right? If you're an adventure capitalist, right, you want to see predictable revenue because you want to get predictable results. But everyone ends up hitting what's known as the growth ceiling because the problem is your acquisition, your acquisition rate so the growth ceiling is when the number of customers requiring requiring every month equals the number of customers you're churning away every month. And eventually, they become equal. And okay. it's a trap because no matter how hard you work, you will always stay at the same place or start declining. And the reason why that is is that the more customers you have, obviously percentage-wise, in absolute numbers, the more will churn every month just because you have more customers to churn away. Right? But the acquisition channels are basically limited. Like There's only so much more you could be aligned to what the market demand. So it's only so many customers you acquire every month. And it's only, you know, you can't like push it two, three times every year. It kind of maxes out. And so you max out on acquisition and it equals your churn and you're kind of stuck at the same number forever. And I think, you know, a lot of people didn't really think ahead <laughs> that the predictable part of predictable revenue is that it will hit a growth ceiling and then you're like stuck. So then what's, what's your next leverage? It's, it's going to be channel. Question for you then, should a SaaS company that's starting out, you meet a lot of these guys that are you know, launching SaaS companies, they're early in, they start hiring some direct reps or they start doing sales themselves, should they wait until they hit the growth ceiling to start building that channel or should they start closer to day one? Well, if you hit the growth ceiling, you're dead. That's, you're, 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 just, you're in so much trouble. It's way too late then. <laughs> you're in so much trouble if you hit your growth ceiling because a lot of your investment is based on continuing growth. And then you're basically you're gonna like you're, you're gonna be down rounded and you're in deep trouble and you hit your growth ceiling. Now the right time to invest in partnerships. Now some companies did a very good job of starting partnership first from the beginning, and some most people don't. There's a lot to do with also how you're tech positioned. So let me give you a few generically good answers, but they're not, you know, you can bet businesses like a jungle, so you can do anything and win. Um, but 
on average, this is what happens. First, you got to recognize what is your technology position? Like, where do you fit into the system of, of the solution? Are you what is the what are you the platform? Are you a platform like AWS that it's not itself what customers buy, but everything builds on top of it? It's the operating system. You know, are you an anchor app? Are you the accounting tool, the CRM, or the ERP system? You know, are you like the thing that the team? This is what the marketing team, every they will need this kind of software and the accounting team will need this kind of software. Are you one of those? Right? Or are you a peripheral that has to plug into one of these anchor apps that's providing an additional functionality? That. And then in that case, are you a feature or are you a product is, a, is another good question. If you are a peripheral, of course, you're going to have a partnership strategy because you need to work with the anchor apps. So if you're a shopping cart review management service, obviously you're going to work with all the shopping cart providers. Yeah. Like there's no way, you're not gonna, no one buys the review tool until they have the e-commerce store with the reviews on it, right? So you have to work with the anchors. If, you're the, right. if you are an anchor app, right, you definitely need an ecosystem strategy. You cannot possibly grow without supporting all these peripherals around you, because that's what customers are buying, is that you're the anchor and you need to bring in all these other different solutions and you can't build everything yourself. So you have to work with partners. And if you're a platform that's more like an operating system, I mean, I think it's the computer science right of what so people can build on you, and then the kind of partnerships you want to do may not necessarily be technology first. You may have to focus more on solution providers, getting people to build to build a developer network. And Microsoft has a really good developer network, and that would be, I think, their strongest part of the ecosystem, they've argued, is their developers who aren't necessarily in a commercial agreement with Microsoft. And then they also have the commercial partners. You know, right? So, but the developers were right. first for them. So you got you to just think about where, where you fit. And then that's, so that's like your technology strategy. And then second, you can't stuff the channel. So a lot of people try doing this early on, like, who are like naive. They think, well... I'm going to do a big deal with this big co, and they're going to tell all their sales reps, they're going to tell the customers to buy us. I'm like, no, they won't, because I hate to break it to you, the sales reps sell their core product first, because that's where they make their money. They don't care about you. And so, and you might help them maybe on a couple sales, but they don't care, right? What they will sell is what customers are demanding them to sell, right? So that's a good example. So it's like financial force on Salesforce, a lot of the, a lot of the they were demanded to, you know, there's a lot of demand from CFOs to have some kind of tool there. And then the sales reps will now, you know, they like Salesforce really likes financial force. So they'll sell this partner tool because it's customer demand. You have to generate customer demand for your product before your channel partner will sell it. If you do it the other way, pushing it top down will end up happening. Happening is you end up in the bargain bin. Have you ever been to those stores where there's like a box full of DVDs or old toys that no one wanted? Right, that's where you're going to end up, and then you're going to burn your channel. You have to focus on making sure that customers like you first. So the, the right order usually is to work on your direct sales messaging, direct marketing. Yes, you have to do that to build product market fit and get the message right, and then make enough case studies and proof that your thing is working. Right, and then you can go to the big co and say, look, people want this; it sells well. We know how to sell it, you know. And then you then you still have to build up within that channel, crawl, work, run, small test programs. Make sure those are successful. Build out to a next program and just keep working on it. So that's another another key thing. And I think also because of the way that SaaS, I mean, SaaS is a direct sales, direct marketing thing. Most people won't even hire a partnership person until they're much further along in revenue. Like I found that, and if you were small, you actually don't have resources to execute a partnership. So you know, even in our association, we ended up not actively getting rid of people at the lower end of revenue, but. What happened over time was like I just stopped focusing on people who never delivered a partnership within the network, and so there was always a smaller companies. You need you need enough resources internally to 
to divert from core product and core sales and core marketing to go to partners, uh, just because the way SaaS is, has been a, in a direct model. In the old channel, you would be partner first before direct sales, but this is just upside down in our market. So Yeah, I'm working with a couple of smaller software as a service companies, and they've done some direct sales, but they're starting to bring on customers from around the globe, and they know that they just can't, they don't have the reach or the scale, and they need to start building out a, a real channel for themselves. So tell me about that. Are they, these are big complicated sales and they need an SI partner, is that what you're saying? One is a pretty complex sale. The other is more of an add-on feature to an existing product. And so they need the channel to reach those customers of the existing products. Yeah, but does the channel need them? That's the other question. <laughs> well, that's where it comes down to, do you have a compelling value proposition for those partners? You know, you've got to give them a reason that's interesting to them. How are you going to help them grow their customer base or, or do more with your customers, provide greater value that you can you know, add additional services. And that's really the, the position that they're in. Yeah. So, I mean, it depends how well you know your partner channel like, and their needs. And then you have to build it for them. Like, you have to like, be very focused as them as your customer. and kind of build. There's lots of tools. Like agency analytics is a tool made for marketing agencies to surround SEO analytics. So they built it in the name. They made it just for agencies, right? But you have to be laser focused that you're going to go and serve the agency needs and, and market at them as if you're my customer and I'm going to do everything I can to make it good for you. So I mean, like I said, there's a million strategies. In general, people will try to build up their sales and marketing product market fit first, so they're not stuffing the channel. Then you're also kind of drawn into it on a technology level by what else is in the market, like whether you're a peripheral or a core app. But there's like there's other bits of leverage. Like if you focus directly on the channel and you're like making things directly for the channel, then that's a competitive edge because you are like saying, I care about you and these other guys kind of care about you, but I really care about you. And that's sometimes a competitive advantage by itself. Well, to start wrapping this up, so your passion is around making the internet a better place, a more glorious place. I think you're working also to make partnerships a better place and, and helping all sides of the spectrum have a better experience. And you're doing that through your company, AppBind. You're fostering those conversations through the Cloud Software Association and the conference SaaS Connect. So a lot of great work there. Just stepping outside of that professional life for a second. How about Sunir on the personal side? If you have any time with multiple businesses and kids, what, how else do you spend your time? Well, it's funny. So three kids, three businesses, that's a bit too much. I had to get rid of one. <laughs> a kid or a business? <laughs> well, some days they don't put on their shoes. And so I'm like, you know what? This is the day. <laughs> no, so I got rid of the consulting business. Now I'm focusing on my product. You had a consulting business that you've had to get rid of. Yeah, that's right. So I got rid of that because, I mean, the consulting paid the bills. But then I also learned from doing this, like when you put yourself in that much pressure, and kids definitely make you prioritize, you realize you can't, it's not a marathon. Sorry, it's a marathon, not a sprint. If you're like every day is like, this is, the, I got to kill it every day. What's going to happen is, you know, I always joke, it's like, I'm killing it. No, it's killing you. Like, you are going to die. <laughs> so I actually, interestingly, because I'm Canadian, yeah. took up curling. So I never, it's what I wanted to do. Curling, eh? So every Friday, it's great. It's just, it's important. It's in the schedule. I, I leave it at 3.30 every day. So I can't even have late meetings on Friday, which are all useless anyway. I just cut those out of my schedule. Go to the curling, curling sheets. It's with the teachers here. So it's not even in te- with tech people. No one there speaks tech. I, and then you, you, curling is a game of calm. 
it's like golf. The more freak, the more stressed out you are curling, the more screw up your shots. So it kind of forces you to uh, calm down. And then at the end, it has a really great tradition in curling: is that the winners buy the losers a round of drinks. And so it's a very social. It's a very social game. It's very hard to lose. Even if you lose, you get around. <laughs> you know, I enjoy it. You gotta, you gotta put that in your life. Otherwise, you know, you know, what's the point of working so hard? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. If you don't play, if you don't get a chance to do curling, did you do any ice hockey as a kid? I did a little bit. Yeah, I was better at goalie than any other position, but I, I gave that up as I got older. But I, I was really into cross country skiing. I actually learned how downhill ski for the first time ever oh, Okay. this uh, Christmas. I think downhill skiing is crazy because you're putting two frictionless planes at the bottom of your individually articulating feet and throwing yourself down the gravity well through trees and rocks. I thought, you know, if, if report back to the mothership on this species human would say this is a stupid thing to do. <laughs> but, so I was always been afraid, but we went to the, the Alps because my sister-in-law lives in Switzerland over the holidays. And I learned how to downhill ski because uh, my wife got me to the top of the mountain and then took the two kids down the mountain. And then, are you coming? And then just, you just went going and I had to catch up. So that's how I learned how to ski. Yeah, you can't do the so, ride of shame down the chairlift. So you're forced to ski. I, I grew up skiing as a kid and I, that's probably why I loved it. I just loved the thrill of pointing those two boards straight down the hill and yeah, flying through the trees. My, you know, the kids, they have no fear. Like my five-year-old son, he's just like, bombs down the hill. So since I can't turn, I just followed him. And that was uh, <laughs> how I did it. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Well, as we wrap up, any final tips or thoughts for any of our software as a service vendors or partners out there that are looking to make, be successful? Yeah, well, I mean, I think if you're a partnership role, you definitely should join the association because it's free and you want to be part of, like as partnership people, we need to know everybody and know what's going on. And that's what the purpose of the association yep. And you could probably vouch for the Valley of the community yourself, but Cloud Software Association. Yeah. And the annual conference will have again in 2020, but we do other things throughout the year. And we have a great Slack community as well to stay connected. So you should definitely join that. And if you're having trouble trying to figure out how to build a reseller experience, everyone does, like how to juggle the billing. This is what you know, AppWine mm-hmm. is there to solve. And we have totally nailed this particular weird problem how to buy and sell subscriptions that no one else has figured out because there's been no technical solution until now. So it's appbind.com, A-P-P-B-I-N-D.com. Come check it out. And you can find me, Sunir at appbind.com is how to reach me. So thank you very much. Okay, excellent. I'll put all those links in our show notes so we'll make sure people can find you. All right, thank you so much. Thanks for this opportunity, Rob. Yeah, you're very welcome. I will see you perhaps in Toronto next month and next year at SAS Connect. That's right. Yeah, collision. So I'll see you there. Great. That's great. We'll collide. Okay, great. Hey guys, it's Rob back with you. That was a very fun conversation with Sunir, my first guest who curls, and who knew that that's such a dangerous sport? Anyway, we covered a lot of ground around SaaS, and the SaaS world, you know, it's growing quickly, but there's still, there's so many of SaaS owners, SaaS entrepreneurs who don't understand the channel. They don't know how it can accelerate their business. If you know any SaaS entrepreneurs, SaaS business owners, do them a favor and send them a link to this podcast. As always, you can find key takeaways, show notes, resource links. They're all on my website at channeljourneys.com backslash CJ18. If you enjoyed the show, please go into iTunes and leave a rating and review. That would be fantastic. And also be sure to join me next week for my interview with another SaaS founder whom I also met at the SaaS Connect conference out there with Sunir. 
My next guest is building a really cool company that solves a huge problem that hampers cooperation between vendors and their partners. So we're going to talk all about that. Be sure to tune in next week. And until then, have a great channel journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends. And be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure. 